0: Welcome, everybody, to the Building the Baseline podcast. My name is James McCool. Uh, you guys know me from Twitter, Pater underscore DFS. Uh, I have been talking about starting this podcast for a while, and this is going to be the inaugural uh, first episode of the Building the Baseline podcast. So, you know, we're just going to be talking over the next couple weeks, next couple months, however long I have guests that want to come on, uh, talking about the backgrounds of people within the fantasy industry, both daily fantasy and season-long fantasy, anything that has to do with this wild kind of industry that we all live in. Uh, this first episode, I am joined by the infamous Derek Carty. Uh, you guys all know him from his projection sets uh, on both Fangraphs and at Grinders. Derek, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, I, I have respected your Um, approach to fantasy baseball for a long time and you have been branching off into other sports as well but your baseball product is obviously like the most known thing that you have
1: right yeah the the bad has become kind of almost synonymous with me at this point I think
0: yeah and that's that's not a bad thing by any means it's a fantastic um, set of projections and um, you know you your, where did you start, right? I mean, like you, you have the bat, but is that the thing that kind of like pushed you forward or did you have things before that?
1: Yeah, so I was probably in the fantasy industry a good, I don't know, at least five years before I even started building the bat. Um, I, I started when I was a, a freshman in college, you know, I built like a little a little blog spot blog um, just because, you know, I, I had some ideas, I wanted to put them out there. And it kind of got noticed, you know, by by the Hardball Times, you know, which is like the like the the nerdier, researchier branch of Fangraphs right now. Um, they noticed it. They were like right at the point of wanting to add a fantasy section to their site. So it kind of just worked out, you know. They pulled me on board. You know, I started running the fantasy section, and then everything from there kind of spiraled. You know, I worked with Baseball Prospectus for a while. Um, you know, I was doing all kinds of fantasy things, and then. Uh, and then DFS kind of came along and, and I kind of pivoted into that, um, you know, and the bat was kind of a big part of that.
0: Yeah. So you started, you, you just mentioned that you started over on Fangraphs with their, as you say, nerdier, more analytically number-based uh, side of things. So when you started that blog, like why did you have such a big interest in baseball specifically?
1: So, I mean, I, I loved sports growing up. I played basketball, um, as a kid for most of my life in high school, I was playing in fantasy sports leagues with, uh, with my friends and I was always losing and I was upset and I didn't know why. (laughs) And so the, the guy that that kept winning the leagues, like I went to him one year, I'm like, why do you win? And why do I lose? And he's like, because I use math and you're not doing anything. You're just kind of guessing. Um, And he showed me Moneyball, the the book by Michael Lewis. And I read that and I'm like, oh, oh, shoot. Like you can combine math and and sports. And obviously I was also, you know, very, you know, a very good student in school. I got straight A's, AP classes, the whole thing. Um, So I was like, okay, like I like math. I like sports. Uh, Baseball is, you know, my first exposure to the combination of those two. And so uh, and so that's why I kind of went into doing
0: baseball stuff. So that's interesting. Did you play baseball when you were younger?
1: I played T-ball and that's about where I maxed out in terms of baseball.
0: <laughs> Man, that's that's interesting. I, you know, I I played football for a long time. I played football for like 10 years and that was the reason why I got into uh, fantasy sports and, and specifically daily fantasy sports. Because, I mean, I think that everybody kind of plays season-long fantasy football at some point in their lives. If, if you're in this industry, I think you've kind of dabbled in that area, but it's really interesting that you didn't actually play baseball before you started building things regarding baseball.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously I liked watching baseball. I was kind of into all sports, um, but predominantly I played basketball, but the math, you know, at the time just kind of worked out better for baseball. And I kind of realized that there were a lot of cool ways to analyze baseball using math and predict what players were going to do.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that, baseball is probably that that's why I like baseball so much in terms of fantasy, because it is the sport where analytics probably matter the most. Um, I mean, even talking about event oriented sports like baseball or like soccer or hockey or things like that, where we can really measure how often certain things happen we can regress things towards baselines. uh, you, You really just can't do that in things like football or, or basketball. I mean, you can do it a little bit in basketball. I have some projects trying to predict streaks and stuff like that in basketball but baseball you're right it's just the one where analytics make the most sense
1: yeah and and obviously I've, I've dabbled in football the last few years and it's gotten well and I think that there is still a lot of uh analytical stones to be you know turned over in the coming years you know I, feel, I think there's a lot to be done with football. I think analytics does lend itself well to it but obviously not as well as baseball where you know it's just a it's not as dynamic of a game basically, you know, the interaction starts when the pitcher throws the ball, the batter hits it, you know, the fielder fields it. And then it kind of ends. It's not like there's a lot of, uh, you know, interactions between players on the field and that sort of thing that we have in a lot of other sports.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit, you touched on what you did in school. You said you were a good student. Um, what were your favorite classes in school? Um,
1: I mean, I guess it was probably math. But honestly, I kind of had the, the approach in school where, you know, I just wanted to be good at everything because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was going to grow up. You know, at the time, I didn't realize that daily fantasy sports analyst was a real job. I guess at the time, it wasn't a real job. So I had no idea what I was going to do. So I just kind of tried my hardest at everything, tried to be good at everything. Um, and then eventually, you know, a combination of those things have kind of helped me get to where I
0: am now. Yeah, fancy analyst was maybe not something that was happening back when you were in high school, um, no, back when I'm I was in high much. school. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, research analyst was, and um, data science still was. Like, when were you in high school? I don't know how old you are.
1: Uh, I'm 32, so I was in high school in like the early to mid-2000s.
0: Ah, so yeah, okay. You're a little bit older than I am. But still, I, I mean, data science and computer science, stuff like that made sense. Did you, did you work with computers a lot when you were in high school?
1: I did. Yeah. I always, uh, I always liked working with computers, even when I was in middle school, you know, when I was in like third or fourth grade, I was designing websites and learning, you know, HTML and and CSS and, and uh, SQL, you know, I learned um, as part of like my website, you know, little website design company when I was in middle school. And and that's really kind of helped me um, in terms of baseball and building the bat and kind of having, you know, a little bit of programming knowledge and kind of understanding how, how that stuff works.
0: You had a, you had a website design company in middle school?
1: Yeah, I did. I I was a nerd. Um, But uh, I mean, I feel like ultimately that
0: served me well. (laughs) Yeah. Cody, let's be honest. You're still a nerd and there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, (laughs) for sure. I'm a nerd. I think that most of the people who are very good in our industry are pretty nerdy outside of like big T and I don't know, Empire Maker. Those guys don't seem like nerds, but maybe they are. You know? Yeah, you never know. It's a, uh, you know,
1: you never know what someone's like behind the behind the keyboard. Although hanging out with Big T this weekend, I, I don't think I'd call him a nerd. <laughs>
0: That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, okay. Well, so you have that job. What are some of your other pre- some of your other previous jobs from before you were in this space?
1: I mean, really, it's just like. Summer high school jobs because like I said I started doing this when I was a freshman in college and obviously I wasn't making a lot of money for for many years but I was kind of building towards this and putting most of my time into this so you know i I made ice cream at an ice cream shop I was a waiter um, I coached basketball camps in the summer and that that's kind of the extent of my work experience outside of the fantasy industry.
0: I think a lot of people would call you lucky for that. In that you didn't I would have call to myself have. lucky for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very
1: fortunate to be able to do this for a living and to kind of, uh, you know, have had the opportunity to to get to this point.
0: Yeah. I had, let's see, I, I worked at a retail store. Like I think everybody on the planet has done at some point, worked some dead end high school job, selling something to other teenagers and trying to make a living from it. And uh, after that, got into retail management and, you know, surprisingly, I I don't know. It was, I I have a weird journey in that I had those jobs and then I just magically fell into the lap, thanks to my mom, of um, government contracting and writing for government contracting. And that's kind of what pushed me towards writing in itself. And it's so weird because I didn't, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, I hated writing. I hated writing so much. I dropped out of creative writing. Because I thought that it was the most boring thing on the planet. And yet, here we are now. uh, I am a professional writer, and that's kind of a weird thing that happens as you're growing up. You just kind of fall into these gigs.
1: Yeah, it's funny how that
0: works out. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. So, when you were doing these kind of like more dead end jobs, and obviously your passion was to write about baseball, but did you have any other passions? I I mean, did you ever think about trying to get farther into basketball?
1: Not really. I mean, I I, I played basketball growing up. I played a little in high school, um, but it it was apparent I was never going to, you know, be able to play professionally. I I wasn't that good. Um, So that was never like a a real aspiration for me. And, And I kind of found this thing so early on that, that I really put a lot of my time and effort into this. And I didn't have, uh, you know, a real, I guess, monetizable passion beyond that, um, which I never really needed one.
0: Yeah. And my, my fiance is big on saying that not everything needs to be monetized. And that I think that that is something it's kind of a hot button issue in the fantasy industry with the idea of exposure and the idea of writing for, uh, you know, pennies and stuff like that. It, it, it's not like getting into the fantasy industry is something that you really do if you want to make a whole bunch of money.
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's very few people who are really making, you know, a comfortable living doing this. Um, and that's not to say that it's not possible to do that, but it is very difficult. It is very competitive, especially, you know, nowadays, you know, there it's way more competitive than when I started doing it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough.
0: Yeah, and that can kind of like segue us into this next part of it. We've been talking more about background, but we're going to move on to uh, the current lifestyle now of Mr. Derek Cardi and kind of talk a little bit more about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Obviously, your work with the Bat and your work with the various fantasy sources that you have, it's not like things just magically happen. You're, you're doing a lot of work behind the scenes and doing a lot of work and getting things ready. So what does your kind of day-to-day life look like right now?
1: I mean, my day-to-day life, obviously I do this full time now, so it's just, you know, all sorts of fantasy related things. You know, I'm doing front end stuff when, when a season's going on, whether it's articles or web shows, or, you know, I do daily podcasts for, for subscribers um, a lot of my time, kind of like you alluded to, goes into back end stuff, building projections, studying new things, um, you know, analyzing new data, managing data, just kind of like making all of my products better and, and studying, you know, things that I think other people aren't doing and trying to, you know, stay ahead of the curve, basically. And then there's obviously, you know, the like the the social media aspect and the customer service aspect, you know, trying to, you know. Obviously I think my stuff is great, but like if it's all behind the scenes and no one knows what I'm doing, you know, that that's cool for me, but I want to share this stuff with other people. So, you know, I try to put, you know, as much stuff as I can out there on social media for people to see, um, you know, obviously with, with how many subscribers there are, I I'm my own customer service person (laughs) to a large degree. I, I answer every single tweet and DM that I get, um, which, which I like to think is, uh, you know, a unique service that I kind of can offer to subscribers. And so really my day is just jam packed with, with all of this stuff. And then obviously playing DFS, you know, during the season.
0: Yeah. Would you, so this is something that I want to ask everybody that comes on here. Do you think that you have actual days off
1: actual days off? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm lucky to take a few hours off, um, especially during the season, like baseball season. I think last year I, I managed to take like two days off the entire year. Um, I, I haven't had a real day off even in the off season right now, probably in a couple months, you know, even, even if it's not like a full, you know, eight or 15 hour day, some days, um, it's always at least a couple hours a day, usually a lot more than that and uh i i have very little downtime which which i don't mind because i love what i do but but yeah it's it's a, a more than a full time gig
0: yeah it's it is so rough and that is that's something that i kind of want people to understand about this kind of work is that you know we we work and we work and we work and we work and we work to provide these things for other people so that they don't have to because this isn't easy work, and de- developing the algorithms and developing the projection sets that you put out, I, I do not know the back end of the bat, but I imagine that it is many, many spreadsheets wide and many, many tabs wide. And there's probably—do you work in code? Do you do you code? I do. I
1: actually don't use spreadsheets. I think uh, you know. I, I think they're great, but for what the bat has become and what it is it could never work in a spreadsheet. It's just so massive. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's all in, in code.
0: No, I totally understand that. What, what code do you primarily work with?
1: It's actually all in SQL, which I know is not the most efficient way. If anyone's listening to this and has like a coding background, they're like, are you, are you crazy? How do you do everything (laughs) in SQL? Um, but that, that's how I do it. So it's, you know, like, like a half a gig's worth of text files. Um, and, uh, You know, it's, it all just kind of runs the system. That is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of (laughs) is, but it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, Well, anyway, I, with things like the bat where you're talking about having half a gig of data that is running through it, it has to be maintained and it has to be scrubbed and it has to be cleaned and it has to be ran and it has to be, you know, updated at every single day. And every single, I, every single thing that happens has to be done by somebody. You can only automate so much. With my personal systems, I have plenty of code that I have written to go out and get all of the stuff that I need to run my models and to run my algorithms. But I still have to go in and I still have to press run, and I still have to go in and I still have to make sure that things are running correctly. I, I know that when I scrape, for instance, um, when I go to scrape X stats. Uh, I know that every once in a while, the JSON payload doesn't come through. And so I have to sit there and I have to watch it to make sure the JSON payload goes through. And I actually have that data running into the models. And um, it, it is something that when people see the projections come up and they, they say, oh yeah, cool. So Call Stanton is a great value today. It's not just that Giancarlo Stanton's projection magically pops up. There is so much work. There's hours of work that goes in every single day, at least a couple hours, to get those projections out to people.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> absolutely. I don't think people understand just uh, just how complex, you know, the the under, you know, the underworkings are to get to that point of, you know, John Carlos Stanton has a 38% chance of hitting a home run today. Like there's so much that goes into that. Um, And like you said, like sometimes, you know, there, there's an error, you know, loading the data or something like that. And so as much as possible, like I I try to automate as much as I possibly can, and then set up kind of, you know, like, uh, I guess, like notifications, you know, if something doesn't run properly, something to, to alert me, you know, to say, hey, this, this didn't run right, you know, go take a look at it and, and
0: see what's wrong. Yeah, those error logs are really important. I, I don't have any error logs, but I should have error logs. And it's so funny because I, <laughs> I write I, – I taught myself how, how to code. Um, I taught myself through YouTube, and I started with VBA coding and Excel. And VBA is really nice because on Excel, if VBA runs wrong, one, it'll tell you an error, and it'll say, hey, this didn't work. And two, if you run something wrong, you're going to see it in the spreadsheet. Like, you know that if it ran a calculation in the wrong cell, then it just looks weird. But when you move on to things like SQL, and when you move on, I code primarily in Python now, and I'm trying to move on to some other things like R, but when you run with things that are completely within the computer's dark realms of the numbers and the binary behind it, you don't see the things happen in real time, and you don't see the things cause those issues. So it it is, it's really, really important to have those error codes and to be making sure that you're watching things running and and doing that kind of data mining.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's easier than, than I'd like it to be for things to kind of get out of whack sometimes. And so keeping an eye on it is, is definitely um, part of the job. Yeah, for
0: sure. So when you, you're working maybe eight to 12 to 15 hours a day, what do you do in your free time? Like, what do you like to do when you don't have a whole bunch of work that you're doing directly in front of you?
1: I mean, I enjoy what I do. So like a lot of, you know, what would be my free time, I kind of just throw right back into this, you know, I'll study something new, you know, there's a lot, tons of new data coming out, obviously the last few years. So like working on that and trying to incorporate that and seeing, you know, you know, what kind of utility it has when I'm not doing baseball or or football or analytics stuff you know it's the same kind of thing anyone else will do you know i'll go out i'll have some drinks with my friends um you know I'll, i'll watch a movie you know i don't play a lot of video games but like i'll make exceptions for for certain games um but but really most of my time does go into
0: um you know fantasy is there anything that you wish you could be working on that you haven't had time for yet oh yeah, (laughs) you should see
1: my, you should see my list. It is a mile long of all things that I would love to do, whether it's little things to add to my system, whether it's, you know, big things that I'd like to, to study and kind of build out almost into their own systems. Like I'd love to build projections for, for other sports. I get questions all the time, you know, are you going to build an NBA model? Are you going to build an NHL model or a golf model? And I'm like, Yeah, guys, I will. When I have a spare 1,000 hours, at minimum, I'll be able to build another sport. Um, And I'd like to do that at some point. But uh, time is really the main thing because there's just not enough of it.
0: Yeah, time is the most valuable commodity for, I think, a lot of um, workers in the software industry and, and in fantasy and stuff like that. We just don't have enough time. I know, personally, when I in my free time, I spend a lot of time with my fiance. We go out, we go shopping, we go to get some food, we go on drives, we go downtown and walk around and and stuff like that. And when I have, I have to split up my time between my work, my play and my relationship. And those are the three things that really matter to me. And I only really have time for two of those things in any given day. So if I have a day where I have a lot of content to put out, you know, Mondays, Tuesdays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, uh, during NFL season, especially, it's pretty much just work and fiance. I don't have much time to be playing DFS. And then on days where Margaret goes to work, I maybe have a little bit more time to play DFS and put out content and work and stuff like that. And time really is the... Largest constraint. It's it's not about mental capacity. It's not about having a lack of things to do. It's having a lack of time to do those things.
1: Yeah, I I could not I could not uh, be more on the same page with you there. Like it's just it's all about time and and that play component really is the one that that tends to suffer the most. Um, you know, and, and I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, I I am as well. I, I have a little bit of time in the mornings to read. I have a little bit of time in the mornings to play some video games. And then from about, I don't know, 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. till about NBA lock, I'm pretty much working and I'm working on something. So that definitely, I think that's a really important point. And kind of the, the focal point of this conversation thus far has been about time and has been about how much time it actually takes to run all these systems. Yeah, it, it takes a lot, <laughs> So when you look forward, when you were in high school and when you were in college, you were looking forward into how to best put together the numbers to be successful in fantasy sports. And now that you are in the fantasy industry and you are doing all these things, what is the next thing? Like, what is the next part of the fantasy industry for you? Do you think that it's going to continue to be as strong as it is?
1: These are the kind of questions that, like, like I, I have an opinion on the same as anybody, but I don't consider it an especially, like, uh, I don't know, well-researched opinion. You know, I, I focus on on the things that I do. I focus on the more micro-level stuff, the projections, the player analysis, um, you know, what is and isn't predictive and that type of thing, and then the, the macro-industry-level stuff, you know, I, I don't have as great of a feel for. Like, I, I'd like to think that, that the fantasy industry is going to continue being very, very strong. I mean, obviously, I think sports betting, you know, being legalized in a lot more places now is going to have some sort of impact. I think you can probably make a case either way for it being a positive or a negative one. Um, but, I mean, I really don't think fantasy is going anywhere if, you know, if you're asking me.
0: it's the The sports betting thing is the most interesting part of the future of fantasy for sure. And most people know that. I I mean, I don't think that you can really get into a conversation about the future of daily fantasy sports or season long fantasy sports for that matter, without talking about what sports betting is going to do to it. Uh, do you, when you're building out these models, have you started implementing sports betting? uh, Like, I, I guess, methods into things like the bat and the blitz? Are, are you trying to think about the ways to incorporate sports betting into your current models?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, just kind of by the way they're designed, you know, they're, they're, they're automatically sports betting models anyway, you know, obviously they're projecting player stats. So anything that, that has to do with player props, props, they're going to be projecting, but then also, you know, you can't project a pitcher in baseball without projecting how many runs he's going to allow and so if you're projecting you know the runs that the pitcher is going to allow the runs that the bullpen behind him is going to allow you're projecting how many runs that a team is going to score and so you can you know you can use it as a model to you know to bet over unders or to you know you're predicting how you know what a, uh, a starting pitcher's chance of getting a win is you know, you're going to be projecting a team's chance of getting a win. So, and that, you know, speaks to money lines and everything. So, so just kind of by the nature of the system and the way it's designed, it's already projecting these things.
0: Yeah. I, I feel the same way about that uh, with my betting model. Actually, it works the other way, right? I, I put together a, a betting simulation for baseball over the last couple of years and I put into the back end. It, it's not spitting them out right now because it doesn't need to, but I put into in the back end the ability to put together fantasy scores for the players within the game. And I, it's measuring out, um, you know, how many runs a player scores, how many steals they get during the simulation, how many strikeouts a pitcher ends up getting in the simulation. And I, I kind of teased them a little bit last year, but it wasn't something that it was meant for because the, the system itself just just doesn't need to do that, but you're entirely right that betting and fantasy go hand in hand when we're talking about models. And I just wanted to know if that was something that um, you were, that you were actively looking into doing, or if it was just something that was like kind of in the back end and not something that you were going to pursue in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely something that, that I plan on pursuing more and, and it's something that I've kind of had, Um, my eye on for a while, you know, like the, the bats team projections and game projections have been available for the last, I don't know, probably three years or so, you know, people can, can look at them and they can bet with them. And I've heard from a lot of people how well they're doing with them. You know, some, some internal tests have shown that, you know, that they do really well. So that's, that's really encouraging. And I think it's only going to become uh, a more prominent focus of mine, you know, as, as sports betting continues to grow.
0: Yeah, and that would be the smart way to do it. I think that most people, especially people like you and I that build models, that's going to be something that needs to be more of a focus. Uh, the, the kind of stuff where, because Tout Services, right, they put out these picks and say, oh, well, here is uh, all of the reasons why historically this team should win this game. But it's not really an analytically based argument. It is when when a lot of tout services put out their picks and when Vegas Dave puts out his whale picks, it's not something that is proven by the analytics and the models behind it. It's something that is proven by historical values and historical values matter uh, in, in a lot of different ways. You know, we we have to have historical values in order to make models work, but they are not going to be as strong as something that is a DFS model and that back and forth, I think really kind of lends people like you and I a better kind of a leg up on that kind of a thing moving forward.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I think, I think having just, I mean, I've been building the bat for, for 10 years, you know, a lot of the kinks have been worked out. A lot of um, factors have been worked into it. And, and so because you know, it just inherently is predicting these things that we care about for sports betting. And because it is, you know, it has such a strong track record and has been so good at everything, um, you know, I think it kind of, you know, works perfectly with sports betting now.
0: So you mentioned earlier that you do play DFS. Uh, Like how much volume do you play in general?
1: I'm not playing, um, you know, the the crazy kind of volume that you see a lot of people out there playing. I think I'm playing more than than some people um, assume that I am. Um, You know, at at my peak, you know, maybe a few, maybe what was it, maybe three or four years ago, probably three years ago, um, when I was a little bit less busy than I am. When uh, when the money was just so soft, um, I was probably playing, you know, low five figures a day. Now it's you know more like you know, four figures on a slate.
0: Yeah. And that, I mean, I totally agree with that when I was actually able to play a lot, I played a lot more volume and now I don't, but so you play that volume. Now, do you think that you're going to continue to play that volume? Do you think that for the next couple of years, you're going to continue to be in the same realm of fantasy sports or do you see yourself trailing off?
1: No, I mean, I, Again, it's going to depend on, on where the industry goes, and that's not something that we can predict with any kind of certainty. But, you know, I don't have any intentions of, of not doing that. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me really that drives how much I'm playing and, and how much I'm playing in terms of both money and frequency is just, I mean, we were talking about it before, it's time. You know, like leading up to lock on any given day during baseball season, there's a lot going on. I'm trying to manage the projections. I'm trying to answer questions from, from supporters. You know, a lot of times I'll be doing crunch time live on rotor grinders, which runs, you know, from about a half hour prior to lock all the way through lock. And so, uh, and so it can be tough to like, you know, be handling all these things and also trying to handle my own lineups. And, and if something is going to suffer, I'd much rather it be my lineups than than you know anything that has to do with with my subscribers and the people that are you know supporting supporting what I do you know I'd much rather see other people win um, you know at the expense of maybe a little bit you know less time that I have to devote to my own stuff and so uh, and so I think it makes a little bit of sense to not play as much as maybe I otherwise would if I was only playing and not doing public facing stuff but you know the 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 subscribers and, and and you know people like that are really my priority.
0: I feel the same way. I And it's one of the reasons why I don't play as much volume now is I have so much content that I try to put out and so much content that I try to work on for subs so that they can find their success. Because back when I was working with David Roto, I had said I was doing a podcast and I still do the podcast with uh, B-Dentric. And we a subscriber won a hundred thousand on one of his lineups, and he, he took down the wildcat or not the wildcat it was the the one fifty for NFL. And I had posted into the Slack over at Daily Ro that I was pumped. Like all I want in the industry is for people to make money based on my advice. And uh, I I got some fun comments about um, how pe- how they would rather win the hundred grand themselves, and I'm like I. One, I don't even know if I'm a good enough fantasy player in my own lineup construction to have come up with that lineup. And two, my I, I'm not in this industry. Like if I wanted to be in this industry to make money myself, I wouldn't produce content. I would just build my own lineups. I would just take care of my own backyard. But I'm in this industry to help people. I'm in this industry to build a community of smart people. So that is definitely, I agree with you, that the the focus for anybody who puts out content is certainly on the subscribers over their own stuff.
1: It's funny that you say that because I have very much the same mentality and it's one that it doesn't seem like a lot of people um, really understand. Like when you say that to some people, they'll be like, well, what do you mean you're not trying to to maximize how much money you're making? Like what? That that just some people just think you're full of shit when you say that. And it like it couldn't be further from the truth. Like not everyone's primary and sole motivation is making as much money as possible. Like I make a very comfortable living doing this and I'm very happy with my life, you know, and and I enjoy helping people. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy the analytical process of building these systems and of putting out content for people and helping people understand it and making them smarter and answering questions. And like, like I, I feel more fulfilled doing that than I would, you know, putting myself behind a wall, you know, you know, not putting any of my stuff out for people and just kind of trying to play myself. Um, you know, maybe I could be more profitable doing it that way. I probably probably could, but uh, that's not what I want to be doing. And I think some people don't quite understand that.
0: So, I mean, I guess I don't really need to ask this, but if you could be doing anything else or if you plan on doing anything else other than what you do now, what would it be?
1: It, it would be this. I, I really there's nothing else I'd want to be doing. I I love my life. I love, you know, what I do for a living. And so uh, there's nothing else I'd want to be doing. As long as there's an industry, I think I'm going to be doing this.
0: Love to hear it. You love to hear it. So let's, uh, let's close this thing out. Um, If you could give any piece of advice to people who are listening, um, what, what would it be like if you could give any advice to people who either aspire to be somebody like yourself who develops algorithms, or if you could give advice to somebody who wants to find success in their own daily fantasy stuff, like what pieces of advice would you get?
1: I mean, I guess it's two separate things. Like if you're trying to be, you know, a, a content producer in the daily fantasy industry, you have to realize that it is extremely competitive. You know, you are probably not going to be making a lot of money for quite a while and, and you have to, have the time and patience to put into it to try and, um, you know, make that happen and, you know, kind of understand going in that it's going to take a long time and know for sure that that's something you really want to do before you try it because it is, um, it is difficult. And if you are going to try it, you need to be different somehow. You need to find your own voice, your own niche, something that someone else isn't doing, something that is going to make people want to listen to what you have to say, as opposed to, you know, the hundreds of other people that are already doing this or who are like you and are trying to do this. Um,
0: And then in terms of, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I agree.
1: Go for it. And then in terms of actually playing and making money, I mean, there, there's just so much, you know, to, to talk about there, you know, there, there's a lot of people that question whether there's still, still edge in DFS and, I can say without hesitation that there is, and I think the people who, you know, are trying to tell you that there there's not edge, I think, are the people who are maybe lagging behind a little bit, or who are kind of falling into some common traps that maybe you used to be able to fall into and get away with, and now you can't. Um, but like there there's groupthink everywhere. Like you have to avoid groupthink. You have to avoid recency bias, you know, your bankroll management and your game selection has to be strong. Um, And you have to, you have to care about the right things and ignore the, the things that don't matter. You know, like as much as people want to talk about BVP, don't use BVP. You will not be a successful player. Most likely if you're using BVP and not using other smart things with it, because it just, it's been proven. It doesn't matter. And and you can't be overweighting things that happened recently just because they happened recently. You know, we'll get into May and June, and that is the absolute best time to make money in during baseball season because people are like, okay, we're in May, we're in June. We have, like, what looks like a big enough sample size now. Um, and so I'm just going to use this year's stats because, you know, they're more recent, and I just want to buy into whatever, you know, hot hot hitter is – been doing well so far this year and i just want to play him. And and that's such the wrong way to do it. Like the past stats matter, historical stats matter even with all the new statcast stuff that we have now. You know, it's still it's still noisy. And so we really have to to really be analyzing things and scrutinizing them and understanding how all the pieces fit together and and not, you know, weighing the wrong things or weighing things improperly.
0: Yeah. And you and I could go for hours about the noise that happens in the newer stats and the noise, especially that happens in X stats. And now you have to use them correctly. Um, And and that that goes with any stat that anybody makes up um, or comes up with, not makes up, I shouldn't say it that way, but any new stat that comes out in the industry uh there is no end all be all and the thing that is generally going to lead you to success is going to be the proven methods um that will it, you use the proven methods and then if you think that there is something that can give you an edge make sure that you test it make sure that it actually does give you an edge and then incorporate it uh succinctly into your old process never ditch your old process if it's been working so I'd I'd agree with all of that. Is there anything else cool that you have coming up that you wanted to talk about before we end things?
1: I mean, the the season long version of the bat is going to be dropping at Fangraphs any day now. So that'll be cool. Um, Pre-sales for the bat at roto grinders. um, You know, the DFS version will be coming up pretty soon. Um, I'm working on some really cool stuff in the background that is going to be kind of a standalone thing. That's going to be worked into the bat. Um, I don't want to give any specifics yet, but there is some really
0: cool stuff that I have in the works that I'm very excited about. Well, and I'm sure that you're going to crush it because you pretty much crush every model that you build. Uh, (laughs) you, you make really good stuff. I I was impressed with, uh, with your success from the, from the blitz specifically, since it is such a hard sport to, to put together in a predictive nature. So I'm sure that you're just going to dominate whatever it is that you want to be building. I appreciate it. So this has been the Building the Baseline podcast first episode. Uh, I thank Derek Carty for wanting to come on and, and talk about his background and the things that he has done leading up to and the things that he does within the fantasy industry. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And hopefully you tune in next week when we continue down this little journey of learning about the community of D- DFS. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.